Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Debbie Thomas. My essay this week is entitled, The Trinity, So What? and is based upon the lectionary readings for June 16, 2019. Let's face it, Trinity Sunday is a hard sell. While most festivals on the liturgical calendar invite Christians to celebrate dramatic events, Jesus' birth, the resurrection, the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, Trinity Sunday asks us to celebrate an idea, a theological abstraction. Worse, it asks us to celebrate an idea we can't understand, no matter how hard we try. If you're like me, you've been at the receiving end of many well-meaning but flawed attempts to explain this inexplicable mystery. The Trinity? Oh, well, it's just like water. You know, liquid, vapor, and ice. Three phases, one entity. The Trinity is like that. Or think of a tree. The roots, the trunk, and the branches. Three parts, one tree. Or an egg. The shell, the egg white, and the yolk. Or a triangle. Or a three-leaf clover. Or a human family. Father, mother, and child. All of these analogies fall short, and technically, all of them are heretical. More importantly, none of them address the deeper question. Why should we care? What difference does a three-in-one make? Fine, God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's nice. But so what? I don't mean to be trite, but the so what question is an essential one. Many of us are tired, physically, emotionally, or spiritually. Some of us are struggling with illness, or loss, or troubled relationships, or financial hardship. Some of us are lonely, disappointed, angry, and heartsick, just barely hanging on to belief in one God. And now the Church wants us to contemplate three? Why? In our Gospel reading this week, Jesus tells his disciples, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of Truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Can we pause for a moment and hear the tenderness in those words, the kindness, the depth of Jesus' patience and forbearance towards those he loved? He didn't burden his frightened, skittish, psychologically saturated disciples with more than they could handle. Instead, he promised them the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, the Spirit of ongoing, loving, healing revelation the Spirit who would slowly guide the disciples, and by extension all of us, into fuller knowledge and comprehension of everything Jesus left unsaid. As I contemplate the three-in-one this week, I'm finding Jesus' promise a safe and gentle place from which to begin, meaning I don't have to understand right now. I don't have to find a perfect analogy or metaphor. The Trinity is not fodder for bumper sticker summaries or clever internet memes. It is a great and holy mystery and my first job is to stand in humble awe before it. In other words, to contemplate the nature of the God-Self is to come to the end of what human language can do. It is to become speechless. It is to fall to our knees and cry, I cannot possibly hold the singularity, the otherness, the strangeness of this God. I cannot domesticate him. I cannot tame him. All I can do is trust that Jesus' promise holds. All I can do is await the Spirit who will come and reveal the truth, and enabled me to bear it in time. In our toxic and polarized culture, it's easier to imagine that we have the monopoly on God, that our articulation of faith, our liturgy, our denomination, and our worship practices contain the whole or the best version of who God is and what God desires. 
One thing the Trinity does by its very complexity is challenge this assumption. The truth of God will always exceed us. The truth of God will always be more than our tiny, easily overwhelmed minds can bear. So we begin with the humble acknowledgement that we are out of our depth. But now what? Is there anything we can say with assurance or celebrate with abandon on this Trinity Sunday? Franciscan priest and theologian Richard Rohr argues that caring about the Trinity requires orienting ourselves in a new way. Don't start with the one and try to make it into three, he writes in his book, The Divine Dance. Start with the three and see that this is the deepest nature of the one. Start with the three and see that this is the deepest nature of the one. What might it look like to follow Rohr's advice? What might we discover about God's character, God's personality, God's priorities, and God's reality if we see threeness as the ground and essence of God's being? Here are a few possibilities. One, we'll see that God is not immutable and rigid. If God is triune, he does not exist in stasis. Rather, God's self is dynamic and fluid. God moves. Or to use Rohr's language again, God flows and God is flow. God dances and God is dance. Regardless of whether we'll learn to tolerate the surprise and discomfort of divine fluidity or not, we worship a God who resists containment. Expands do not contract God, Ken Stork writes in his poem, The Holy Trinity, for God is the great iconoclast. Two, we'll see that God is diverse. If God exists in three persons and each person has his or her own way of embodying and expressing goodness, beauty, love, and righteousness, as Rohr puts it, the Trinity affirms that there is an intrinsic plurality to goodness. Goodness isn't sameness, he writes in the Divine Dance. Goodness to be goodness needs contrast and tension, not perfect uniformity. If God can incarnate goodness through contrast and tension, then it's worth asking why we can't or won't. Why do we fear difference so much when difference lies at the very heart of God's nature? Three, we'll see that God is communal. It's one thing to say that God values community or that God thinks community is good for us or that God hopes we'll build some sturdy ones in our churches. It's altogether another to say that God is community, that God is relationship, intimacy, connection, and communion. If God is both plural and interactive at God's very heart, if three is the deepest nature of the one, then what are we doing when we isolate ourselves from each other, when we decide to go it alone, when we privilege independence over companionship? If the Trinity really is much more than a bit of dusty doctrine the early church fought over, then we dare not take lightly the life-changing power of the communal. God is relationship, and it is only in relationship that we'll experience God's fullness. 4. God is hospitable. In the 15th century, Russian iconographer Andrei Rublev created the Hospitality of Abraham, also known as the Trinity, one of the most well-known and beloved icons in Christendom. In it, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, depicted as the three angels who appeared to Abraham, sit around a table sharing food and drink. Their faces are nearly identical, but they are dressed in different colors. The father wears gold, the son blue, and the spirit green. The father gazes at the son, the son gazes back at the father, but gestures towards the spirit. The spirit gazes at the father, but points toward the son with one hand and opens up the circle with the other, making room for others to join the sacred meal. As a whole, the icon exudes adoration and intimacy. Clearly, the three persons around the table respect and enjoy each other but it also exudes openness. There is space at the table for the viewer of the icon, for me, for us, as if to say the point of the great three-in-one is not exclusivity, God is not a middle school clique, but rather radical hospitality. The point of the three is always to add one more, to extend the invitation, 
to make the holy table more expansive and more welcoming. In fact, the deeper the intimacy between the three grows, the roomier the table grows. Likewise, the closer we draw to the adoration of the three, the wider and more hospitable our hearts grow towards the world. 5. Finally, God is love. The Trinity at its heart is an expression of deep, unfaltering, and life-giving love between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The relationship between the persons of the Godhead is not a relationship of domination, power-mongering, manipulation, or jealousy. It is a relationship of unselfish, sacrificial love, which begs the question, if God's very being is grounded in love and we are created in God's image, then who are we? What are we? Are we, like the triune God whose imprint we bear, creatures suffused with love? If we are not, then what are we doing with our lives? What does our piety really amount to? Why should we care about the three-in-one? We should care because we are the children of the Trinity, the children of a mysterious, fluid, diverse, communal, hospitable, and loving God who wants to guide us into the whole truth of who God is and who we are. We should care because the mystery of the Trinity has the power to transform our hearts if we will dare to let it. This week and always, may our worship, our lives, and our relationships reflect the profound beauty of the triune God. For books this week, Dan reviews Waiting for Eden by Elliot Ackerman. On the first page of this novella, we learn that the unnamed narrator is dead and that he considers himself the lucky one. That's because his combat buddy and best friend from back home, Eden Malcolm, took the brunt of an explosion when their Humvee hit an IED in Iraq. Eden barely survived, if you can call it that, and has spent three years in a burn unit back home in San Antonio. The third character of the book is Eden's wife, Mary. She was pregnant with their first child when he entered the hospital and has not left his side those three years. These three characters, then, each exist in a different state of knowingness. Eden is a paraplegic, deaf, blind, and severely brain-injured. His emaciated body, what's left of it, has wasted away to 70 pounds. Yes, he has vital signs, Mary observes, but she doesn't know if you could call what was in that room a person. Not alive, not dead. What it was didn't have a name. Mary's mother urges her to let him go, and she remains deeply ambivalent. Although no one could know this because he cannot communicate, Eden has terrifying nightmares, but also some healing dreams. When Mary returned home for the Christmas holidays, in some undefined way, he came awake. He struggles with profound despair. Dear God, just let them know that I'm in here. Just let them know I want to end this. Let them know. Let them know they please God. The title of the book comes from one of Eden's dreams, when he is in a place of whiteness with his narrator friend. All this is easiest on us, he tells his friend. What Mary has gone through is worse than what you or I have. We may have burned and bled, but we were never asked to wait. She has waited. They all have. They are trapped by us, and they wait. Any Eden of innocence is far, far away in the story of memory, identity, loyalty, and the suffering of war. Elliot Ackerman's novel Dark at the Crossing was a finalist for the National Book Award. He's a former White House fellow and Marine, having served five tours of duty in Iraq and Afghanistan, where he received the Silver Star, the Bronze Star for Valor, and the Purple Heart. For movies this week, Dan reviews Wiley and the Wild West. I watched this movie on the PBS website after a friend who lives in Montana told me how much he liked Wiley Gustafson, had attended his concerts, and how just to hear his voice makes me feel rooted. Wiley Galt Gustafsson 
is a fourth-generation Montana horse and cattle rancher, roper, singer, songwriter, yodeler, and the frontman for his band, Wiley and the Wild West. After you spend a little time on his website, you realize that he's that sort of internationally famous person that you've never heard of, which is exactly why PBS made this film about him. This documentary starts off with Yodel Boogie, and then proceeds through a dozen songs interspersed with six interviews in which he explains his efforts to channel his sense of land, the empty sprawl of northern Montana, his cowboy life and what he calls a hum and vibe of big sky country into his music. With over 20 albums released, Wiley and the Wild West continue to record and tour all over the world on a regular basis. For more on Gustafsson, see his website, www.wileywebsite.com. And lastly, for poetry, The Gifts of the Three. Spirit, give me of thine abundance. Father, give me of thy wisdom. Son, give me in my need. Jesus, beneath the shelter of thy shield. I lie down tonight with a triune of my strength, with a Father, with Jesus, with the Spirit of might. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for June 16th, 2019, Trinity Sunday. I'm Debbie Thomas.